0: nehemiah chapter one let's stand together i'd like to speak briefly this morning on the subject of personal revival personal revival i love to preach about soul winning and church building and And we'll talk about some of those things in upcoming messages, but we're really just trying to focus on our heart this week and how we can walk closely with the Lord. And from this student body, as much as we wanna have trimmed beards, you can have a trimmed beard and have a wicked heart. So we wanna have uh, hearts for God and I wanna share with you some of the story of Nehemiah. We'll begin in chapter one, verses one through four. The words of Nehemiah the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chislu in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word this morning. We pray that you would speak to our hearts about what it really means to have a a stirred heart for you and a heart of revival. Bless our incoming freshmen and all of our students. Lord, may this be a great year for them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. One of the most devastating days in Jewish history took place around 586 B.C. when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem. God had told them, because of the sin in their midst, that they would suffer such captivity, and they rejected the warnings of God and they were taken into captivity. About 100 years after this, there was a small remnant of people that returned from Babylon to Jerusalem and began to work on the rebuilding of the temple. And it was during this period of captivity that we begin to hear some names of some great people in the Bible who were used of God, who had personal revival that made a difference. We hear about Nehemiah. We hear about Ezra. We hear about Daniel. We're going to learn Sunday about Esther. These are Jewish people who were in a period of captivity standing up for God. May I say to you this morning that while we are not in captivity, we are in a culture of captivity. We are surrounded by unbelievers. We are surrounded by paganism, much like we see in the Babylonian and Persian kingdoms. And it's going to require individual Christians. We're, we're not, uh, most of us are not Jewish, but all of us profess to be Christians, Christ followers. It's going to take special godly young men and young women like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like Esther, like Nehemiah, like Ezra, who are willing to say, I don't care what the rest of the world is doing. I don't care if Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world. I don't care if uh, uh, Xerxes. I don't care if these rulers are declaring uh, their religion to be right. I will serve the Lord my God. And that's, that's the call of God upon his people in every generation. Well, in this particular moment of history, we find that there had come much into the heart of Nehemiah through a messenger from Jerusalem. And as we look at ancient Jerusalem, we're hearing in this passage that the walls uh, were still not erected around the, t- the uh, temple city of Jerusalem. And that meant that there was much danger. That meant that they could be attacked at any time. It also meant that their opportunity to worship could be hindered and that the nation was not as strong as it could be. And when Nehemiah heard this about his homeland, his heart was broken. And would be to God that some of you would have a broken heart for the United States of America. Would be to God that some of us would pray that God would raise up a hedge, a wall of spiritual protection through the local New Testament churches where you will pastor and where you will serve someday. And we see that revival really begins in the heart of this man, Nehemiah, in these first four verses. How does that take place? I want you to notice it takes place, first of all, through prayer. Nehemiah begins striving with God in prayer. And it tells us in verse 4, I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Have you ever been burdened enough to really pray about something? Normally uh, when we are just urgently on our knees, it's when we hear of terrible news like a car accident, like cancer. Normally when there's a surgery, Normally, when there's a physical situation, we will pray and pray and pray, but here we see a man who's praying over the spiritual need of his nation. I remember years ago, I was preaching in Ireland, a revival meeting, and when they picked me up, the missionary said to me, he said, now, Ireland's not like America. I don't think we're going to see a lot of Fruit, like you see in America, but we're really glad you're here. And uh, and I thought to myself, that's a crazy thing for a missionary to say. By the way, if you're going to be a missionary, why don't you just go ahead and believe that God can do something great through your life? Amen. And um, there was a man uh, in the car with him, and uh, that that man heard his pastor say those words. And and so when we got to the hotel, I checked in, and then we went over to the side of the lobby, and I said, man, let's pray. Let's just spend some time in prayer. And we prayed and we'd prayed before we'd come and, and uh, we prayed that God would touch hearts that next Sunday morning in, in church. And as I preached that Sunday morning, it was an amazing service. There were about 130 people there. And I remember really just preaching on the woman at the well and preaching somewhat in this style, a little more conversationally because it was a smaller crowd and it was a very small room. And as I was giving the message, it kind of felt like I was just talking one-on-one with people. And I gave the invitation about 40 minutes in, and I asked people if they would like to know for sure that heaven was their home, if they would just kindly lift their hand. And suddenly, 13 adults raised their hand in that service. And mind you, I was told not to expect anybody to get saved. I thought, well, I must have made it sound too easy. I must have said something wrong. And I, so I said, okay, put your hands down. And so I went, I went a little deeper, and I said, now we're talking about being willing to turn from Catholicism, folks. We're talking about turning from uh, trust in self and, and turning and trusting exclusively in Jesus Christ and only in the gospel. And, and, and I went all through it, and I said, so, so I said, if that's the decision you want to make, would you lift your hand? Thirteen hands went up. And the man that was in the backseat of the car the night before, he was running the video camera and he put the camera down and he was just weeping uncontrollably looking up at one of the ladies on the front. Well, we gave the altar call. The missionary and his wife, he led seven. She led six people to the Lord that morning. As I was walking out of the service, I got a text on my phone. My phone kind of vibrated there. And, And I opened it up and it was one of the girls here at West Coast. And she said, did my mom get saved? Did my mom get saved? And then I remembered, Jet lag will kind of take your memory away a little bit. I remember that she had said, my dad is very faithful in the church, but my mom's not saved and I'm praying that my mom will get saved. And I double checked the name and I texted her back. I said, yes, your mom got saved and she said, all the girls in my dorm got up at four o'clock this morning, and we prayed from four to six that my mom would get saved. I'm so glad my mom's saved. Has there ever been anything in your life that you wanted so much that you were willing to lose sleep to pray, you were willing to fast and pray? Revival begins with a passion, with a desire to see God work. Nehemiah wept and he prayed. For four months he prayed. He fasted. Jesus said in Mark 9 29, and he said unto them, This kind cometh about, uh, this kind can come for forth by nothing but by prayer and by fasting. R.A. Tory, who years ago founded a school that's now not as strong doctrinally as it once was, but a school called Biola. Biola stands for Bible Institute of Los Angeles. Used to meet in downtown Los Angeles. And R.A. Tory wrote, We are too busy to pray, and so we are too busy to have power. We have a great deal of activity but accomplish little. Many services but few Results. Nehemiah's prayer began with a burden. Nehemiah's prayer burned with compassion. This wasn't just saying some words. Look at verse 6. He says to God, "Let, Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. Here is a man that has a burning heart of compassion, and he has a burning heart of confession. God will not work mightily through your life if there's sin unconfessed. And I want to encourage you this semester to keep short accounts with God. If there's a thought that you have or a deed that you've committed or something that you've said that's ugly towards someone else, quickly repent of that. If you need to apologize to someone in the dorm, hey, there's nothing wrong with going to someone and saying, hey, Joe, I I kind of just brushed you off a minute ago, and the Holy Spirit convicted me, and I want to say I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Hey, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Let's say those words together. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? By the way, how many of you are thankful that God is always ready to forgive you? He's faithful and just to forgive us, and he'll forgive you. But we must understand that revival starts with a striving in prayer before a holy God. We could develop that further, but you see it in the text. Notice, secondly, revival starts when we purpose to see God, when we purpose for revival. You see, prayer really set the direction for Nehemiah's purpose in life. That's why I love the Missionary Prayer Band here at West Coast Baptist College. Because as we pray for other nations and peoples, many times the Lord uses prayer to set the direction. Many times we say, well, I don't know where I'm supposed to go. Should I be a missionary, a pastor, a pastor's wife, an educator? I don't know. But, you know, through prayer, God begins to develop. And as Nehemiah was praying and as Nehemiah was experiencing revival, suddenly God said, thou art the man. You're the one that I'm going to use to help meet this need. I was over in the country of Dubai this summer And uh, we had preached a wonderful meeting in Egypt I want to tell you about later, and we're putting together a film you'll see at Spiritual Leadership Conference. And while we were there, uh, I began to understand more about that country and the history of it and found out that there's 10 million people there, 9 million of which are not Emiratis. They're not uh, from United Arab Emirates. The, most of them that are there are workers, and they're Filipino, and they're Pakistani, and they're Indian. And the Lord put my path across one person there in Dubai and another person here in the States, both who are Muslim, both who said, Pastor Chapel, if you would like to start either a church or a Christian school in Dubai, we regret the idea that people have, they're very sympathetic and they feel bad about uh, Islamic terrorism and such. They said, we want the people that are in our country to have a place to go to church. We, we want to help and, and if you have someone that would want to come, uh, then uh, w- please let us know and we will help you. Could you imagine God opening a door like that in a Muslim country? And God opens doors like that through prayer. And we see in Nehemiah's life, God gave him a purpose. Look at chapter two and verse 10. It says, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard it, it grieved them exceedingly, notice this phrase, that there came a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. This was Nehemiah's purpose statement. He came to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. And we need men today who will go to cities all around this world to seek the spiritual welfare of the people in that city. I'm not talking about passing out food stamps and birth control. I'm talking about passing out the gospel. That's what I'm talking about. And as you pray, God begins to move on your heart, and he gives you a purpose for your life. And we see that this was a very personal purpose. Notice in verse 17 of chapter 2, the Bible says, Then said I unto them, ye see the distress that we are in? Speaking to the men that were with him as they were inspecting the walls, he said, You see how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire? Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. In other words, he owned this vision. He said, this is what God wants us to do. And he began to recruit others to do this with him. I remember when I was in Bible college, there was an opportunity to preach in the lower desert out way past Palm Springs. And, and so I went out and preached and, and uh, I think we had five ladies that first morning and I had the time of my life. I preached on Noah, the antediluvian society, uh, all about the flood, all about God's grace, and the whole message lasted eight minutes. Eight minutes. That's as long as I could go in preaching uh, on the subject. Sometimes Mrs. Chappell says to me on Sunday afternoons, why don't you preach that message about Noah? That's a really good message. I love that message. And I don't know if she loved the message or just wants me to keep it short. I never can tell what she's telling me. But as I went out there, they asked me after I preached that message if I'd come back the next Sunday. And same thing. I didn't know if it was a good message or they just liked that it was so short. I was so nervous. That's as long as I could go. They had me out the next week and I preached about 15 minutes the next week. And, and then we went out the next week on Saturday and went soul winning. Pretty soon I started getting guys from the dorm to go with me. And we all went soul winning on Saturday. And then we went out and some of them sang and, and, and we preached. And you know, when you're burning on a fire for God and He's giving you a direction, you want to get other people involved with you serving the Lord. And that's what's going to be great about bus routes and Sunday school classes. And don't just take it as Christian duty, but take it as an opportunity to influence people's lives. And that's what Nehemiah says in chapter 2 and verse 17, he says, hey, I want to be a part of this. I want you to share in this with me. He shared that great opportunity with them. He felt it was a God-honoring opportunity. You see, prayer always develops purpose for your life. But not only did Nehemiah have prayer, not only did Nehemiah develop a purpose for his life from that prayer, but I want you to notice thirdly that Nehemiah, through this personal revival developed a persistency for the Lord. He developed a spiritual persistency. Now, I'm going to tell you something about Bible college and about life and ministry. We can come alongside of you and we can encourage you and we can have games and we have some fun food and we can prop you up, kind of like a youth activity or a teen camp. You can do that for a while and it'll get you through a few weeks or months. But the people that will be here next year and the people that will walk across this platform and graduate and go to the ministry are the people who learn how to get with God and get a purpose from God and never give up on that purpose. It's got to come from the inside. It's something that you develop. It's something that you determine with God, this purpose, and it's something that is so real to you that nothing and no one will ever shake you from doing what God has called you to do. Right now you might say that that is just to serve God in whatever capacity, but he'll refine that as the years go by. And it may be a missions refinement. It may be a revival refinement. It may be a a local church pastorate. He'll show you what that's going to be, but you will never, ever let go of this, that God Burn this into your heart. And that's what happened with Nehemiah. He wept, he prayed, he fasted. He got a purpose to go seek the welfare of the children of Israel. And notice what happens, though, in chapter 6 as we close this morning. Notice chapter 6, verse 1. And it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall that there was no breach left therein, though at the time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono, but they sought to do me mischief." Now, think about Sanballat and Tobiah for a moment. And I want you to listen very, very carefully now, these last few minutes. Because you are going to have Sanballat and Tobiahs in your life. Well, what kind of people are these? Look at chapter 2 and verse 19. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard about the building of the wall, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? Sanballat and Tobiah were questioners. They were scorners. They were ridiculers. You in your life will have Sand and Tobias. You may have someone back home right now that thinks you're stupid for going to Bible college. You may have someone that, you may have some boyfriend or girlfriend or someone who says, hey, why don't you get away from that place? Why are you doing that? You may have people that laughed at you for turning down a scholarship to go to a Christian college to learn the Bible. Sanballat and Tobiah represent and were scornful toward the man of God who was building the wall. Antonio Scalia, a former Supreme Court Justice, wrote, devout Christians are destined to be regarded as fools in modern society. I want to challenge you students today, don't listen to Sanballat and Tobiah, okay? When I was called to preach, when I went to Bible college, when I started in ministry, when I came here, every single time somebody had an opinion of how stupid it was and how something else would be better. And almost every single day of my life, someone's telling me how stupid this is. I think over the summer, uh, we've had some people coming around the church on the other side of the property with bullhorns calling out, this church is a false church, and Pastor Chapel's a false prophet. And, and uh, so if you hear them, you got fair warning, just wave and keep moving on. Don't go fight with them. Don't try to win them to the Lord. We, we got it under control. But my point is... We have always had Sanballat and Tobiahs. You will always have Sanballat in Tobiah. And they want to do one thing. They want to get you off the wall. Now, your wall is ministry training, and your wall is serving, and your wall is soul winning. And most of the Sanballats in Tobiah that are either back home or at some other more liberal college, most of them see a red-hot fire in you that convicts them And it bothers them that you want to be one of these soul-winning Baptists. They would feel more comfortable about their miserable self if you got off the wall. Somebody understand what I'm saying. But that's all that Sanballat and Tobiah ever want to do. They want to get you off the wall. But Nehemiah was persistent when ridiculed because back in Shushan the palace, For four months, he bathed this thing in prayer, and God had given him this purpose. This purpose was not from his mother or father or something that he was doing for his ego. This was a God-given purpose, and never doubt in the night what God gives you in the light. And if God, in the light of his word, at a teen camp or a school chapel or church service, Touch your heart for ministry, then never let San and Tobiah get you off the wall of doing what you're supposed to do. Notice in chapter four and verse number ten. And Judah the strength of the And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of the burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. Here's the mighty tribe of Judah, and they're complaining about the work and And our adversaries said, they shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. That's what adversaries say. They try to intimidate. They try to make you feel like they're going to shut you down. Verse 12, and it came to pass, that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us 10 times, from all places whence you shall return unto us, they will be upon you, the enemy. Therefore, said I, in the lower places, behind the wall, and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up, And said unto the nobles, the rulers, the rest of the people, be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. Fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Here we see that though the people were discouraged, Nehemiah said, "Look, I want you to have a trowel in one hand, building the wall. I want you to have a sword in the other hand, ready to fight the enemy. But whatever you do, don't get off the wall." and there will be the sandballots and Tobias and the enemies and the discouragers and the naysayers. They're going to want to get you out of college. They'd rather see you doing physical therapy in some community college than studying the gospel of Jesus Christ in a Bible college. They're going to do everything they can to show you some other path. Somebody in this room has got to have enough grit spiritually and determination and calling upon their life to say, I would never do something else when God himself has called me to give my life to him. I would never step down from preaching the gospel to be the president of the United States of America. There's a high and holy calling to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to see as we close what Nehemiah said to these people, chapter six and verse three, and I want you to read it with me. Nehemiah 6, three. Ready, begin. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? Why should the work cease? Why is there only one graduate from west coast in Ethiopia with 75 million people starving to death? Why is there no one going to Dubai. Why are we not seeing more people planting churches in cities like Seattle and Los Angeles? When someone emails you or texts you from home, hey man, we miss you, hey, you ought to just come back. Look, you did your duty. Do, do just a year, just do a semester. Quick, come back as quick as you can. Somebody needs to email back and say, why should I come back while the world is perishing without the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why should I come down? when I know through prayer and preaching that God has put me in this place. Since COVID came upon the nation, we have found that people coming to Bible college the last few years, they're not coming just to see California, you'll see some of California. I think we're going to an Angels game this year and doing some new things and it's fun. But we found the students coming to West Coast are coming with a purpose to learn the Word of God to get up on that wall, and to stay on that wall, and to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm here to encourage you. You know, I appreciate people that encourage me to stay on the wall. You say, you need encouragement? We all need encouragement. And sometimes people have encouraged me, maybe a little note, or maybe a phone call, or some different ways. Stand up there. Thank you, Brother Chapel, for standing. Stay on the wall. Well, I want to encourage you today Stay on the wall. Don't let anything or anybody pull you down from doing what God has called you to do. And sometimes, I hate to tell you this, along the way, there will be people that disappoint you. There will be. There'll be people you thought were these great Christians and suddenly it wasn't what you thought. And sometimes, though, maybe will be something in the dorm or maybe maybe financial struggles. There's gonna be some discouragements. That's why you need to determine today I'm here by the calling of God. I'm going to stay on the wall. I'm going to serve God. And Sandballad and Tobiah, you might as well go on back to the plane of Oh No, because I'm saying no to Oh No. I'm not going to go have an ecumenical service with you. I'm not going to go act like, oh, all of a sudden now that we're having success, we'll be your friend. I'm not going to come off this wall. There's a great work to be done. Let me encourage you. Get alone with God. Seal with God the purpose of your life. And then persistently and passionately follow God all the days of your life, wherever he takes you, never coming down off the wall.